Hello, I'm Joe Pavia, and thanks for listening to my podcast, Station to Station. The podcast revisits old radio interviews and news stories I was assigned to. You can find blogs, photos, and other stories on my website, joepavia.com. In this episode, I revisit a 1991 documentary I produced for CJEZ Radio in Toronto. It's about panic attacks, anxiety, and agoraphobia. Test, 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 check, one, two, check, check. Coming down in three, two, one. Agoraphobia is defined as fear of being in a crowded or public place and the paralyzing fear of anxiety that includes a shortness of breath which makes a person feel as though they're having a heart attack. I first heard about it from a person close to me who needed to explain why sometimes at the last minute they would cancel plans and not show up at get-togethers. The behavior was defined as odd, until they explained they were experiencing something called panic attacks and anxiety. They said for some unknown reason they would experience a shortness of breath that, as the definition states, made them feel like they were having a heart attack. These attacks had happened over a number of years and at that time that we spoke had peaked, making it impossible to leave home, hold a job, and maintain close friendships. I admired the courage for them being so open and sharing, and the story inspired me to find out more and it led me to produce a radio feature on the topic. My research started at the former Clark Institute of Psychiatry in Toronto, Ontario, where I met and spoke to Dr. Richard Swinson. Yes, we we know from research that uh, about 75% of the people that we treat will be able to lead their lives pretty much as they want to. Dr. Swinson introduced me to two women, patients of his. They agreed to speak to me only if I used their first names for the feature. Carol and Mary said at the time a lot of their close friends didn't know what they were going through and they weren't prepared to share it with them through such a public forum. While I was unable to reconnect with Carol and Mary for this podcast, I was able to connect with Dr. Swinson. Some people need treatment for panic. Some need treatment for agoraphobia and for different phobias, like social phobia, and also general anxiety disorder. And, and the treatments now go beyond CBT. The first piece of audio you'll hear is the original 1991 feature with the voices of Carol, Dr. Richard Swinson, and Mary. After that, the most recent interview with Dr. Swinson, who explains how, as he put it, everything has changed in the approach and treatment to anxiety. First, from 1991, what was called the agoraphobia feature that appeared on a Sunday morning radio news magazine show on CJEZ Radio in Toronto called CJEZ Newsweek. The feature was called Agoraphobia, Breaking Away from the Fear. I had tremendous pains in my chest. Um, uh, My hands tingled like crazy and went numb. My legs went like jelly and I couldn't breathe, literally couldn't breathe. I was fighting for my breath and I had to get out into the fresh air, thinking that the fresh air would uh, cure the problem. For most of us, a stroll in a shopping mall, going to a movie, 
a walk down a busy street or a bus ride are tasks that we perform with no problem. So it's difficult to imagine not being able to do these ordinary functions. Yet for thousands of people, these ordinary everyday functions are a nightmare. That's because they live in fear of stepping outside their homes. The fear of leaving the safety of their homes began after they experienced a series of severe anxiety attacks. This panic disorder almost always leads to agoraphobia, fear of open spaces. The disorder was first diagnosed in 1871 by a German psychiatrist. Today, it's estimated one in 10 people suffer from this anxiety disorder, with the majority of sufferers being women. It, the anxiety attacks continued then. They, got, they led me into different areas of... Carol is 47. She was diagnosed with agoraphobia over a year ago. She can spot an agoraphobic just by talking to them. She describes them as defensive and non-communicative. But these defensive and non-communicative people were once outgoing individuals. Carol had been an outgoing person, and then one day while grocery shopping, she experienced her first panic attack, which was to change her life. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was having a heart attack, and I thought I was going to die. Uh, it was very scary, very scary indeed. It is scary. Uh, you know, I, I, str I struggled into my car and uh, could, had to sit there for 10 minutes before I could even drive the car, before I could get my breath regular. With the attacks continuing and the severity of each increasing, Carol confined herself at home with the exception of going to work. She experienced panic attacks while at work but managed to get through them. She eliminated socializing completely and turned to alcohol for a short period of time, which she explains gave her courage. During this time, Carol managed to keep her panic disorder a secret. I never told a soul for six years. I didn't tell a soul. My mother knew, my parents knew that there was something wrong, and my daughter too. Um, they have been two of the supportive people in my life that have helped me through uh, many situations that have been very doom and gloom. Nobody else ever knew. Anybody else thought I was still the same Carol. I always am a very outgoing, a very extrovert person. Toronto's Clark Institute of Psychiatry is home to the Anxiety Disorder Clinic, headed by Dr. Richard Swinson. Dr. Swinson has been treating patients with anxiety disorders for over 20 years. He's been at the Clark for the past year after spending 16 years at Toronto General Hospital. Dr. Swinson explains that all of us are prone to anxiety attacks, but depending on how it's dealt with, you may or may not develop agoraphobia. But with the physical attack that occurs, it's understandable the emotional shock that follows. They get a burst of adrenaline, and what that means is that their body, in effect, goes into overdrive, so they get frightened and trembly, and their heart beats fast, and they breathe quickly, and they feel faint and unsteady. Uh, they may go hot or cold, and they may feel as though they're going to uh, uh, lose control of their bowels or vomit. Uh, and they may be very afraid that they're going to have a heart attack or collapse in some way. So a whole lot of physical things go on at the start of an anxiety attack. We know that they're very common, but only a few people become agoraphobic. And so it takes either repeated panics or a particular way of thinking about the panic attacks in order for somebody to become avoidant, which is what we, we the technical term that we use uh, when people stop going out. And in fact, many people have a lot of panic attacks, but still keep going out. And they don't avoid very much. It's only the rare person who would become housebound.
Dr. Swinson says although stress is not a major factor in developing agoraphobia, for some people they had been through a stressful situation prior to their first anxiety attack. Carol feels a tragedy that occurred earlier in her life had something to do with the panic disorder. She's able to speak about the tragedy today. Yes, I can. It was a death um, of a gentleman who I hoped I was going to marry. Uh, he was killed in a car accident and it was very sudden. And um, uh, it, it knocked to the bottom out of my world at that time. Uh, you know, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to cope. Mary's story is different. In high school I had tried, um, I wasn't heavily into drugs, but I tried LSD once. And after that, my life was never the same. That's what brought this problem on. Whether it was, I mean, it could have come out at another time in my life, but I had a really hard time with the, the drug. And as I said, I only took it once, and it, it makes me angry to think that just one time could change the whole course of my life, but it did. Mary has been agoraphobic for the past 21 years. At the age of 17, she experienced her first anxiety attack while on her way to a friend's house. Well, I thought I was going crazy, quite honestly, yeah, I thought I was going crazy. I thought that something was, you know, wrong with my brain, that I, that I was losing it, that I was, was going to forget who I was. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that's what really bothered me back then, is I was afraid of forgetting who I was, which didn't make any sense when you really thought about it. And even when you explain that to people, they'd look at you very strangely, like, what's with this woman? She was originally diagnosed with hypoglycemia. The panic attacks were so well severe that she was forced I, I to drop out of high school, something, something Mary had difficulty accepting because she wanted to continue her education at university. But the thought of an attack occurring in front of her classmates was too much. Shortly after dropping out of high school, she visited a psychiatrist for one week. She's not able to discuss what occurred in that week of therapy, but does recall it made her worse. She began having anxiety attacks in her own home. I basically, my mom used to sit in the bathroom with me when I had a shower because I was so afraid of being alone. I was afraid of my own thoughts, my feelings. I, was, I thought that what I was feeling was bringing on these symptoms, so I, I, I couldn't allow myself to think certain things. It's, it's a game that you play with yourself because you don't have an understanding of what it is. So you have these little check checking things like if I sit this way and I do the if I make a cup of tea and I sit this way maybe I won't have an attack it's a game and that's sort of your protection but it's not your protection but you don't learn that until you learn more about what your problem is suffering from panic attacks made it difficult to form serious relationships Mary avoided them because she didn't want to experience the uncomfortable scene of having to explain to a person what was happening in case a panic attack occurred she did marry, but later separated. Feeling he didn't understand her problem, Mary asked her husband to leave. You know, he'd say, pull up your socks, straighten out your act, like, what is your problem? You're just looking for attention, um, you're over-dramatizing this, and it was, um, it, it got to be t the point where I believed all these things, that I was a terrible person, and I was useless, and I was worthless, but at the same time, I'm trapped in my home, and I'm relying on this man to get groceries, you know, to... It was like being in prison. That's exactly what it's like. And, and I think most phobics that are stuck at home will tell you that. It's like being in prison. And you have, you have to depend on people, which you hate to begin with, to just, you know, do everyday things. And then you'll do anything this person wants you to do because 
What are you going to do if you don't have that one person to do these things for you? Mary says her life began to change in May of 1984 when she became part of a research program at Toronto General Hospital. She was put on a medication program, one she was to stay on for six years. She was taking Xanax, a drug that can be highly addictive. But while a medication program may be good for some, it's not for everyone. Dr. Swinson explains there are three kinds of treatment. There are various medication treatments that, that can be used and, and which have been shown to be very effective for quite a proportion of people. And then there are behavioral treatments and there are two varieties of behavioral treatment. We treat people either individually or in groups. And often what will happen is that somebody will have some sessions of individual treatment and will then go in into one of our groups for our 10-week program of, uh, of behavioral group therapy. Dr. Swinson says after a patient is aware they have a panic disorder with agoraphobia, doctors spend time with them discussing the treatment programs. The 10-week treatment group sessions offered by the Clark Institute is what both Carol and Mary speak highly of. Describing what happens during the treatment group, Carol says they help turn around her fear. Well, um, there's only 10 of us, and uh, there are only 8 ended up in ours, and uh, Dr. Swinton puts us through um, questions first, what happens to us, you know, what we're feeling like to express it openly uh, what we go through and, and as in a group we all find that we all go through almost the same things our fears vary but the symptoms are the same and then he teaches us he actually puts us through a hyperventilation session that puts you into a panic attack that what you know what you feel is a panic attack and then he zaps you to deep breathe out of it and shows you the uh, difference be between how you can deal with it. This is what a, you feel like when you are having a panic attack, and it's true. And now do some deep breathing and sit back and you'll be okay. He drew a graph on the board to show the height, height, height of how far a panic attack can take you and then drop you down. So he took all of us individually out, their workers, to our most fearful situation and they stayed with us throughout it and showed us that while we were in the panic stay there don't give in just stay where you are stand still you know stay with it and it came down it did come down and it and it so it it wasn't scary really you know mm -hmm. i mean and so through the group therapy we kept practicing and practicing this going out a lot uh, doing the things that we were scared of and coming back and talking about it um, brought all the fears to the surface. It, it, it was a miracle, really, as far as I'm concerned, you know, to be able to find out that you can uh, beat something that's so fearful inside of you that frightens you that much. And just by this kind of therapy, you can get help. There is help. But after spending 10 weeks in a treatment group and one-on-one -on -one sessions with doctors, are agoraphobics ever cured? I guess that depends upon how you define cured. What does that mean? Does that mean that you'll never be anxious again? Um, yeah, that's an unreasonable goal because we will all be anxious again sometime. Does it mean that they don't avoid very much or they don't avoid at all? Well, yes, we, we know from research that uh, about 75% of the people that we treat will be able to lead their lives pretty much as they want to. They may still have some minor avoidances, 
but about three-quarters of people get very much better than they were to begin with. I will always be recovering until they, until they find out specifically what causes this problem. I have my own views on what causes this problem. And hopefully by working through what my feelings are about why I have this problem, I might get to a point where I'll be comfortable with this problem. That I, I, if I get on a subway and I know that there's a, I might have an anxiety attack, it's okay. But now when I get on the subway, it, I don't, I, I know I'm going to have it and I know I'll get through it, but I'm exhausted after it's over and I'm frightened to go back again. Carol, on the other hand, feels optimistic about her recovery. She has enrolled in yoga and is learning relaxation techniques to help her deal with the stressful times. Although she experiences the occasional anxiety attacks, socializing is usually no problem. Oh yes, I'm joined, um, I'm taking yoga, I'm taking meditation, I go to night school, um, I, uh, I, I go out shopping, oh I love it. <laughs> I just don't wish I had the money to spend, I love going into stores. Um, I stop off at jumble sales now, garage sales, and just look, it's wonderful, it's like a freedom, it's freedom. Freedom. The freedom to break away from the fear inside. Both women I spoke with showed extreme courage in speaking about the pain they've suffered with. It was their hope that their stories might help someone else. Their message to other agoraphobics is a simple one. You're not crazy. Help is there for you, and there's no need to wait any longer. For CJEZ Newsweek, I'm Joe Pavia. Listening to Carol and Mary's stories years later reminded me of their courage, like my friend, to speak openly about what they were going through in the hope of helping others who were going through the same thing. I often wondered whatever happened to them. I was not able to connect with Carol or Mary for this podcast as I didn't have a record of their real names or a telephone number where I first contacted them. I remember Mary came into the station because she either lived in the area or worked close by the radio station. And I remember going to Carol's house and we did the interview in her living room. Dr. Swinson I found through an internet search. In 1991, he was the head of the Anxiety Disorder Clinic at the Clark Institute of Psychiatry in Toronto. Dr. Swinson left the Clark Institute in 1997 for McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario and St. Joseph's Hospital, where the Anxiety Treatment and Research Clinic is located. I caught up with Dr. Swinson from his home in Toronto and we talked about the changes to anxiety treatment since we last spoke in 1991. Why is cognitive behavioral therapy the accepted treatment for patients with anxiety disorders? Mainly, it has come to be recognized as the, as the best treatment. And over the last 50 years, um, it has shown itself to, to work with um, many people with anxiety disorders and other disorders. And it's also fairly rapid for a lot of people. And it can be effective without bringing in any other treatments such as medication. And with medication, you had indicated it was interesting to listen in the feature that they were talking about Xanax. You haven't used that in quite a while. That's correct. That's because of CBT? Some patients 
wish to have medication because it's easy to, to take. It can work very quickly, and Xanax does work very quickly. If it's given to a patient these days, it's usually for a very short time, maybe about six weeks and then faded out. And often uh, CBT will be used after that's faded out. You mentioned CBT works with other disorders besides anxiety. Can I get you to explain that further? Some people need treatment for panic. Some need treatment for agoraphobia. Some for different phobias like social phobia. And also general anxiety disorder. And the treatments now go beyond CBT, probably with a CBT base, and motivational treatments and mindfulness treatments are examples of additional um, therapies that are used with CBT. Is there a difference between the patients that you treated from the early days when you started practicing to later in your career? In most ways, there's no difference between the 1980s patients and 1990 and so on. The disorders that they had and have are the same. It's the way that we look at the ways of helping the patient to use their strengths in helping them get better quickly. In the last 20 years, probably, there have been many self-help books, and recently a lot of information on the web, and many people do teach themselves without ever seeing a professional and can make very good uh, very good changes. I asked you in 1991, and I'll ask you again. The question is, is there a cure? <clears throat> and the answer is no for most people. There are people who can overcome anxiety disorders uh, to to the point that it, it that it goes out of their life. But even for people who who have that experience, may let's say ten years later may have something that happens in their life, um, whether it is a, a stress or whether it's a physical problem. Um, the anxiety may show its head again. So there, there is no cure which guarantees that they won't have it anymore. You've been working in the mental health field for 55 years. What are the highlights for you? You've helped so many people. 
What are you proud to have accomplished? I've been very fortunate to work with hundreds and hundreds of, of patients who want to get better and who usually work hard in, in getting better. And it's, it's always good to see somebody who couldn't get out of their house become a person who is in aircraft personnel and and learn to fly. Those things are are memorable. The the other things that I would put in the same realm of of, of satisfaction um, with with my excellent colleagues, Muddy Anthony is one of the one of the very prominent prominent uh, colleagues that, that I had together with our team and with teams of people around the world and bringing these ways of helping people to be able to have it to have it. And also, the students are another big part of having a, a, a very interesting time in, in psychiatry. You can read the transcript of this interview with Dr. Swinson on my website at joepavia.com. As well, I have posted links to the Canadian Mental Health Association and Mental Health America as both provide great resources and programs related to mental health. Thanks for listening. The audio is posted to SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also listen on my website, joepavia.com. On the website, I have posted blogs, stories that I was assigned to, and photos I've taken throughout my career. You can also subscribe to have the podcast and blogs emailed to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and see you on the next podcast.